This is Leah Jones, Director of Financial Planning at Hightower Bethesda. Thanks for joining me today as I explore topics that I hope arm you with the ability to make smart financial decisions. Today's topic, an amicable divorce. Is it possible and how? My guest is Regina DeMeo. Regina has been helping families in the D.C. area with family law issues for 22 years. She comes with the perspective of serving her clients to make it easier and more cost-effective as they work toward a resolution, a skill set that is particularly of interest in today's environment, but always important. Regina, you know better than anyone else, is it possible to have an amicable divorce? And if so, what does it look like? It's definitely impossible. Uh, Not only do I do it for my clients every day, but I went through it myself. You know, it doesn't mean that we're all uh, happy to be going through the process, but Uh, To me, it means that everyone is focused on addressing the issues and finding a solution to navigate the future without going to court. So most of my clients do opt for out-of-court settlements, especially during COVID. And talk to me a little bit about in the 22 years that you have been doing this, what do you see work for couples that are able to have an amicable divorce for our listeners that say, I want that. How do I do it? So a lot of people will try the mediation route first, which makes a lot of sense because you're only hiring one professional, right? Ideally, uh, the less professionals you involve, it'll keep your costs down. So in a mediation setting, uh, families will go and, and meet with a mediator and work through, for example, a parenting plan if they're just if they're if they're just focused on the custody schedule with the child. And then, if it's more than that, um, they can involve, for example, a CPA can be trained as a mediator and and do the financial piece. As an attorney, I can do all of it. I can do the custody piece as well as the financial division. But you know, it, it's it's whatever comfort level works for a family. So if if, if it's a really difficult kid schedule, I would say the mental health professional would be the best mediator for that particular issue. If you have really complicated finances, the you know financial mediator would be the best person for that. And then you're just working through the issues like, okay, how, how are we going to share the time with this child? How are we going to pay for you know the expenses? How are we going to divide our finances? And if somebody needs uh, support, you know, what, what's the amount and what's going to be the duration. And so are those generally the two biggest sticking points, custody and financial division of assets? Absolutely. Okay. So basically what you're saying is if it is a situation that there aren't as many sticking points or potentially less complicated, um, more general agreements, then you can work with them to come to a resolution if um, it's the case that they do need some more expertise, they have some more unique situations, whether it comes to custody or assets, they have more hangups, then it might make sense or obviously makes more sense at that point to engage a specialist in those areas 
to to come to some type of conclusion and then come back to you and say, you know, this is how we agreed, help us put it together. Right. I mean, the alternative to that, one step um, above mediation would be to do a collaborative process. So in a collaborative process, uh, each client has their own counsel, and then the four will meet to go over all of these issues. And then they, they might decide as, as a team, hey, we need to bring in a financial expert. Hey, we need to bring in a mental health professional to work out the parenting plan. So the, now you've got more experts involved, right? Because now you've got two lawyers, plus uh, if you have a financial expert that comes in or you have a mental health professional that comes in. So it's just, you're, you're adding more to, but, but some families need that. And if you can afford it, great. Like <laughs> I, I love the collaborative process. I a hundred percent believe in it. I've done dozens of cases this way. So that, that is another alternative to help you resolve issues without going to court. And let's, let's take a step back for our listeners and define, cause I think you do a really great job of doing this. What is mediation versus a collaborative approach? So in mediation, you just have the one neutral that is going to walk you through the issues that need to be resolved and facilitate a discussion. But that mediator does not get to make decisions. So at the end, I don't get to say, oh, well, I think this is the support amount for this duration. I, I don't get to say, you get to keep the house and this is what's going to happen with your, your kids. I, as a mediator... I'm just facilitating the discussion so that the parties can be the ones that make a final decision. Right? So hopefully they'll they'll be they're they're coming in prepared, they're coming in coming in willing to compromise. We emphasize the importance of talking respectfully, taking breaks when you feel like you're getting emotional. So I'm trying to like contain the situation as as the mediator without advocating for either party. Whereas in a in a collaborative setting, now I have a partner. Right. So now I have my own client uh, and I'm there as to support him or her, but I'm there as part of a team and the team works as the container. So the the other attorney is my counterpart, but not my opposing counsel. Right. And I, I like the way that you describe it, where you kind of say, OK, somebody can is more likely a candidate for mediation if they feel comfortable with working, you know, with you, they feel like their interests are going to, both parties feel like their interests can be representative. But if they feel like for various reasons that that might not be the case, then they're more likely to go the collaborative route where they specifically have a advocate on behalf of themselves. Yeah. I mean, if there's a power imbalance, mediation is going to be hard. Not, I don't just mean power in terms of finances. I mean, power in terms of, um, you know, there's a lot of damage that has occurred in a relationship and there might have been some emotional abuse there, there there's there's all sorts of interesting power dynamics that might make one person feel uncomfortable in that room by themselves at because you have to advocate for yourself if you're doing the mediation with just one neutral whereas in the collaborative process the power um, shifts and yet now each person has their own attorney and the neutrals are coming in to keep uh, the situation, you know, uh, super transparent. And, you know, they, they ask all the right questions. So the person doesn't have to feel like, oh my God, it's all up to me to come prepared, know everything and advocate for the result that I want. Yeah. I feel like, and I've seen this myself. I know you have too, that 
this power imbalance and or knowledge, I think it's more a knowledge imbalance um, happens a lot with finances, right? Because one person is the gatekeeper, you know, like knows where everything is, pays the bills, like keeps track of stuff, has made the investment decisions, you know, works with potentially an advisor, et cetera. And then the other person feels very like left out of that because they've always deferred to that person. Um, I mean, I have seen typically it be more of the um, male, like the, the husband in that role and the female with less knowledge. But it's, but, you know, certainly not all the time, but I would say more often than not, I see that. And so I think that's a situation where somebody really feels like, oh my gosh, I, how do I go into a room when I don't even understand? And my partner can be maybe talking circles around the person that they're talking to. And how do I know that my interests are getting represented? Do you see that a lot? Yes. Right. There's, there's always one person that has more of an understanding of how the finances were handled than the other one. And I know one thing that you had mentioned, and I've, I've seen this myself, and I've worked with a lot of clients on this, is that if you can work with a financial advisor, a financial advocate, whatever you want to call it, if both parties agree that this person is neutral, like they both had a relationship with the advisor previously and they felt comfortable with it, so that's one scenario, or they didn't, but they have now hired someone or engaged someone to work with. You had mentioned that that is huge because we we had talked about that this is a big sticking point. So if they can come in armed with that information about their finances, then you can move things forward a lot quicker and then pose, you know, whatever higher level and legal type of information that you need to do, but you don't have to get so ingrained in the nitty gritty of, you know, well, if you do this, this is the tax consequences, or if you do this, like you're going to have illiquidity issues or, um, so that's one thing that you, you have talked about that makes a big difference. Right. Cause we don't get into those tax issues or liquidity issues. Like we were expecting people to get that information from their financial advisors and their accountants. And the other thing that we don't do as lawyers is figure out, is that lump sum, if you're going to get a lump sum settlement, going to be enough? Like, we don't know how to do those calculations. That's not what we we're trained to do in law school. So only a financial advisor is going to be able to say, yeah, okay, if, if your husband, for example, is buying you out of alimony by giving you $3 million up front now, is that enough? Are you going to be okay given your lifestyle? We have no ability to do that analysis. Yeah, exactly. Because it's just your, you know, just like I can't write any legal documents. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't pretend to be able to. So yeah, I mean, I think that that's a really great point is that if you are engaging people that are experts in the thing that you need an expert on, you're probably going to be more happy um, with the outcome. And especially if you feel like you have an advocate and that you have an understanding of what's going on. So, so what do you see when and I know we kind of talked about this, you sit down with a couple and you see like, okay, I think that this couple is in a good space. And these are some of the things that I see that I think that this amicable divorce process is going to work for them. So what I'm looking for is, you know, that there, there's already been some sort of transparency and exchange of information. So like, I, I don't, it's, it's not a good sign if, if somebody comes in and they're like, well, I don't know anything about the finances or I don't know anything about uh, what, what we're discussing today. That, that's a problem. That's a huge red flag. If somebody's 
really emotional. I mean, it's, of course, it's an emotional process. It's normal to be emotional. Mm-hmm. Nobody gets married thinking they're going to wind up divorced. But if you can't sit in that meeting and sort of have a clear mind, you, you shouldn't be making legal decisions that are going to impact the rest of your life or the rest of your kids' lives. So uh, someone's really got to be in a good emotional place and have a pretty good understanding of, of the issues that we're about to discuss. Got it. Okay. So being being on the same page, they've done their homework, they're able to check their emotions as much as possible, right? I mean, it, like I always tell people it's the same thing with a financial advice. Go with a financial person for financial advice and emotions. You know, there's life coaches, um, there's psychologists, there's really great people that you can talk to that are better trained um, to help you get get through those things versus your lawyer. Um, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of times you have to have that kind of same conversation with people. It's, it's not because you don't care, but it's just, that's not your expertise either. I like staying in my lane, right? I was trained as a lawyer. I've been doing it for 22 years. That That's my lane. I don't want to try and do finances. I don't really want to try and be a psychologist. <laughs> so there's that, that's why I truly do believe in it. It's a team approach. So let's talk a little bit about, because we we talked a little bit about mediation and the process. I think one thing to me that was just mind-boggling is the difference in cost. So let's talk a little bit about that. If if somebody was going to, trying to decide what they want to do, walk me through, what does that process look like working with you? So everybody needs to schedule a consult. That's the first step, right? You, You call, you get an intake form, you make an appointment, you know, that that's not a big inconvenience in my opinion. And from there, we can assess whether, like which option is the best for you, right? Like if it's gonna be the collaborative process, I walk them through that, what that looks like, why I think that's the best process for this particular case. If I think they're gonna be fine with mediation, I can give them a list of mediators, right? Cause I'm, if I do the consult, I'm conflicted out. I can't be the mediator for the two parties. Oh, interesting, um, okay. Yeah. So, so either people call me already knowing they want me as a mediator, or if one person calls me and does the consult, I then have to refer the case out. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So if but, they know they want to mediate with you, then don't call you for a consult. <laughs> right. They'd have to, right, jointly schedule the, the consult, but not, not an individual. Like once I talk to that person, I've given them individual advice and that's not really fair to the other side. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good to know. Duly noted. I mean, the the other thing is some people will come in during that consult and say, we've really worked it all out. I just need you to draft the agreement so that it it looks proper for the court, but but we really have worked things out. And and believe me, there there's a fair amount of people, especially during COVID, that have been doing just that. They've had plenty of time to talk about how they want to separate their finances or you know, plan the move out and, and share time with their children. So there's quite a few cases that have come to me where either I've been the one asked to draft the, the, the final agreement or my client has been given, presented a proposal and, and they want me to review that proposal to make sure it's fair. Those are the simplest cases like because it's all based on time. The more time you need me, the more expensive it's going to be. So if all you need is that consult and then you're done, fantastic. If all you need is the the one mediation session, well, that's two hours of my time that, you know, we can quantify what that looks like. So that's another very cheap way to do it. But the more time you need, the more you keep calling, the more we have to 
meet, it's it's all by the hour. Billable hours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I think you just summarized what an amicable divorce is. It's for the most part, <laughs> you guys can come to an agreement, especially on the sticky issues yourself, and then come to you for, you know, the legal blessing um, and look over. And in that scenario, what are we looking at, you know, financially, just ballpark there in that scenario where they pretty much have worked it out themselves? I mean, you could be looking at as little as $1,000 of fees, right, for the consult plus drafting an agreement, and then you go on your merry way and file a paperwork yourself. That's that's not a lot of time. A couple of mediation sessions, maybe you're looking at, you know, $4,000, right? At that, at, like most of my clients will do it within that chunk. Now, when you start the collaborative process, now you've got retainers involved and you've got two attorneys asking for the retainers. So that starting price is usually $10,000. And, and that's we, each? No. That's five, total. Right, 5000 each. So each, like, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm estimating. But then <laughs> by the time you get to court, our, all of our litigation retainers, start usually at 10,000. And the and the national average for a contested case is over 25,000 per person. Wow. And that's a national average, I would suspect around here. Oh, it's much more. <laughs> it's more than that. Yeah. So so that's so just to put that in perspective. Yeah. That's an astonishing difference in dollars that are either in your pocket and for your use and for your children's use or given to lawyers, right? So we're talking on the, we just talked about the a good kind of scenario was maybe one to $4,000 total cost done, signed, finished. Yep. And then a worst case scenario, you know, 50 and that's a national average. So it might, might be even <laughs> higher. In this oh, group. I mean, we've had cases in Montgomery County that are over 200,000. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you could have put someone through college. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's just, it's such a waste. Um, and that's why I love that we're having this conversation today, because I think the incentive now is stronger than ever to do this. So talk to me a little bit about that, what you're seeing with, with COVID and the opportunity there. Oh, so I have to say one of the things that is a blessing as a result of this is that um, people are able to submit their paperwork, and usually within about 30 to 40 days, they get a, an invite to a Zoom link, and they can do their testimony for their uncontested divorce online. <laughs> and wow. The the judgment of divorce is mailed to them, and they never have to step foot in the courthouse, ever. Wow. Is that something you think that will stay in effect, like even after COVID? I do think so, because I think this has really shown how efficient we could be this way. It also cuts down on a tremendous amount of cost, right? Because if I had to go to court, even for an uncontested, I'm charging you my time while I'm right. traveling there, while I'm waiting, mm-hmm. right? That's that's such an inefficient use of resources. So I, I do think for a lot of reasons, the court is going to probably try and preserve the online um, hearings, at least for uncontested divorces. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it makes makes total sense. And why also even you're wasting the judge's time. I mean, it's uncontested, like just <laughs> move on. Right. Talk to me about some of the things that you're seeing in addition to, to those with kind of COVID in terms of 
why the incentive is for people to try to work it out more collaboratively, whether that's through mediation or collaborative versus going the more traditional route? Well, first, particularly during COVID, we we have a huge backlog. So right. good luck getting a trial in 2021 if if you're just starting your case now, right? <laughs> that's not going to happen. So then there's to me, aside from the cost, which we've discussed, which to me, like it gives me heart palpitations that people would spend that much money. Me too, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, especially as a parent, right? Like as a parent, you want to preserve as much as possible for your kids. But anyway, as, to me, it's also the stress and the lack of, uh, there's, there's really no predictability. I hate to say it, but you know, you could get a judge on a, just they're having a bad day or one of your witnesses doesn't show up and destroys your case or somebody says the wrong thing during testimony because they're, they're nervous, right? They're in court. They're not used to it the way I am. I mean, there's a million different factors that can go into play that could just, just destroy a case. And so all of that investment and, and then you, you don't even know the outcome right away. People think like, oh, okay, well, at the end of the trial, the judge is going to rule. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't happen very often. Usually they, they say, thank you for presenting the case. I'm going to take it under advisement. And maybe two, three months later, you will get a decision. Oh my gosh, that's awful. So you think to yourself, this is finally done. And then you go out there and I'm sure, you know, pour everything out. And then you still have to wait two to three months. And then I know the other thing that you talked about, which is is extremely relevant in this area where privacy is very important is that now it becomes very public. Oh, right. Any any court pleading, ex- except maybe financials, are, are you know open to public inspection. And anybody can go on case search and see that you have a case and they'll see that it's contested. And, you know, I mean, who wants to see that? Like, I mean, most of my clients that are professionals really appreciate their privacy. And only by settling out of court do you maintain that privacy. Well... I mean, I think we are making the most compelling argument humanly possible here for collaborative uh, kind of mediation, amicable divorce, because it really is in, in everyone's best interest, both emotionally and financially. Um, in closing, is, is there anything else you want to make sure that our uh, listeners hear? I think the one thing that I want to really emphasize is aside from the money that you're saving, right, and the, the stress that you're not going to take on by going to court, you also have to look at it as an investment in preserving goodwill. Because you, you know, move on with your life, you're still, if you have children together, you're still going to see this person at graduation, you're still mm-hmm. going to see this person at birthday parties, and grandchildren, uh, weddings, exactly, right? I mean, you, you know, I, 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 I've been divorced for many years, but I, you know, I, my ex is still part of my life. He's, you know, we still have a, a child. He's 17, but he's still going to go through many more things and we have to coordinate together. When you go to court, very nasty things are said. And I think that it just destroys the chances of ever having a real working relationship. So you have to, there's a huge cost to that. I think a lot of people really take into account. I hope they take it into account. Right. And we, and that's impossible to quantify. So I think, I think if one thing I could say to our listeners is that this whole kind of getting divorced, things not working out, um, remarrying again, maybe multiple times, 
these kind of blended families. I mean, this is here to stay. The world has changed. There's more options. There's more flexibility. You know, COVID has caused, and I know this is something we talked about as well, people to really question their, you know, lives, how long they're going to live, how they want to live it. And so these type of things really make us think about what's important and how we want to live our life. So one thing that is going to be constant is, is change. And so if you can end a divorce um, amicably, I totally agree with you. It's, it's better for everybody involved. So I have received the question from clients. Is it possible to have an amicable report, uh, an amicable divorce? And I'm happy to report the answer is yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, and, and I hope, I really hope that this continues. I hope that Regina, you do such great work for your clients. You do it at such a reasonable price. You're still a great advocate. You're looking out for their best interests. And, and I hope that that can be the way that the process works more commonly versus what we kind of think, which is that it's just a bloodbath of legal fees and fighting. So with that in mind, thank you so much for joining us today and setting a great precedent. And uh, let's look forward to more amicable divorces. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye. Hightower Bethesda is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC, Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Bethesda and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only, The opinions expressed are solely those of Hightower Bethesda and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for related questions.